hands are bleeding. It's a little hard for me to do the recording. Well, and welcome to the episode. <laughs> <First> of- <laughs> Uh, I am joined by started? Matt today. Uh, I would like, to, yes, we did start. Uh, welcome awesome. to the episode. Uh, I would like to apologize for first off for the quality. We're, we were not able to get this one worked out as well. Uh, this is this is a recorded conversation across the phone instead of two people sitting across from each other like we usually do these. We're going to try and get better with the ones that come after this, but. This is to introduce Matt, and that's the most important part of today. So why don't you do that today, Matt? Oh, okay, now I talk. Uh, yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, hi, I'm Matt Gonzalez. I'm a, a character artist for Collision, and uh, I'm happy to be with you, Andrew. This is dope. Wait, I didn't know we were together like that. We weren't supposed. I to mean, talk. we are. Oh, you. Sorry. I mean, uh, I thought, I thought, I thought just this would be a good time as any for everybody to know. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you're if we're gonna have to tell them at some point, you might as well tell them now, right? That, that we're make we're, yeah, we're together. Okay, yeah. We um. So when I say my wife, I actually mean my husband. It's Matt. It was, uh, <laughs> you're still growing past it. It's okay. It's a growing. It's okay. Yeah, I, I'm still growing as an individual. Uh, <laughs> so I have to come to some some personal understandings before I'm comfortable being fully out. But apparently, he's outing me now. I will. On a serious you. note, uh, yes, Matt. Matt is a character designer here at Collision. He um he's in charge of the knights and the samurai, which um I'm sure keeps him up very late at night pulling his hair out sometimes. It does. Yes, it's okay. I just have hair in my beard, so it's it's a little oh, hard for me to pull my hair out. It's okay. It's okay. Um, if it makes you feel any better, I also pull the hairs out of my beard when I'm stressed. Cool, 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 cool. There's like actually a small bald spot right now that I have to like <laughs> shape my beard around because um, I I was picking at my face and I was just like scratching while I was thinking about something really heavily, and it turns out that really heavy thinking lasts like thirty minutes. Oh yeah, and you don't realize it's that much time has passed, and you're like, "Oh, I yeah. hurt myself." That's like when I bite my lip. That's what I do when I draw sometimes. Yeah, I uh, I used to do that with uh, I stick out my tongue when I'm writing, I, like barely <laughs> with that little that little. I'm thinking, I'm trying to to nose the needle properly, um, mm-hmm. and because of that, I end up uh, end up with dry tongue sometimes. If that makes any sense. That's fun. Um, so why did you choose the Knights and the Samurai when you were hired? That is a good question. That is, yes, that is a good question. Uh, okay, so it's funny because I will absolutely agree that I do pull my hair out sometimes. Absolutely. Um, but I lo- I've always loved, like, uh, knights and samurai specifically because they have this kind of um they're very they're both very grounded in reality as characters but they're also there's also something igna- uh i'm trying to figure out how to pronounce this enigmatic around them like there's something yeah i think i pronounced that correctly like there's something that gives them like this enig- like this enigma kind of air like this kind of mysterious air about them where like um you look at things like Sekiro or like uh, Elden Ring. What? Um, and, oh my and God! Are we going to go on another rant about Elden Ring? I will. We yes. Talk about Elden Ring for twenty minutes on the last uh, podcast. We, uh, <laughs> we won't. It's okay. We're not going to do that. I figured that might happen. So, 
<laughs> um, but I, I really love studying both of those because they both have this air of um, groundedness. There's a thorough lore to it. There's uh, a lot of thought behind the designs and the intricacies, and there's a lot of backstories behind both of them. Um, they're both prolific in history. Like, um, everyone knows what a knight looks like. Everyone knows what a samurai looks like. And uh, finding that kind of thing, that kind of style, and putting like a lot of lore into the designs and like tatters or like certain earrings or accessories that can like um, tell you something about the character without you needing to interact with them or to even see them talk to somebody else uh, in all is what makes my job really fun. So. Besides uh, wanting to kill myself while uh, uh, finding the shine on the knight armor, um, <laughs> I really, really love it. Like, both of those characters, I really, really love enjoy designing. Um, King Arthur is probably exact. Like, he, he looks so unique in the sense that you can't identify where he's from. Yes. Um, which is which is more or less what I was looking for because you and I have discussed like his backstory and how he's actually a character that I wrote years and years ago um, that I want to finish one day. But this is after that story anyway, so it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. um, so he has a bunch of information in my head, a bunch of backstory in my head. Um, but those areas don't really have a design in my head. So that was perfect because like the gold, the gold crown type thing that he's wearing looks so ancient while also being perfectly medieval. If that makes sense. Yes, exactly. That was, that was the goal was to give it like a, uh, an intricacy. I looked a lot at, um, uh, the design work from, uh, Sir Gowan in the green Knight, like the, the movie that just came out the green Knight. Um, oh, I had really like oh so such amazing work. Um, oh my god, I can't remember the costume design name. Um, but I loved how they had exactly it has this. Um, that's what I was aiming for. This kind of ancient, but very regal look. Um, that spoke a lot, but also that spoke a lot and had a lot of pop, but was also seemed very subtle. Like it appeared very subtle on the head, but you also couldn't help but notice it. Yeah, I feel yeah, I felt that when I got when I saw the image. It was um it was almost like trying to figure out where he was from while also knowing <laughs> that he was from nowhere. Exactly. Um and then when you're with your Anamusha design, um you you got pretty much the for those who don't know what Anamusha means, it literally I I'm not I don't speak Japanese. I Ask this to be translated by someone who does. So if they're wrong, I'm sorry. Anamusha means <laughs> legendary female warrior. Or, or, or I'm sorry, it just means female warrior. And then our legendary Anamusha is just a legendary female warrior. And um, since the podcast is only for the crazy, crazy fans anyways, the Anamusha is a single character. All of the female samurai that you see in the first release of the game is one character. And her name is unknown to even us. Um, 
And originally, the samurai were paired with the kitsune. But you asked to do both, which led me to redesign the entire, entire thing. Which I'm perfectly fine with, in case I haven't already mentioned. <laughs> which, I'm, which I've actually brought you on this podcast to tell you how furious I am about it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, um, I, I kind of expected to have this happen when I was designing the game from a play perspective, from a game design perspective. Mm -hmm. I, I was willing to shelve anything that I'd created at that point and create something brand new. Because the making of the cards is what I'm good at. That's, that's what I do really well, in my opinion, is sit down, think, okay, I, I have a creature that we'll just use, we'll use the slimes as an example. Let's say I have slimes, and I want to make an entire deck around the concept of a slime. But what is a slime in video games? It's just like this gooey, this gooey ball, this gooey ball. And what do gooey balls do? Uh, I mean, I've seen the blob, so I would assume that they would probably go up to something and then eat it, and then take on properties of it. That's right. what I would do. But then I was like, well, that's not what slimes do in video games. So I made an entirely different creature that did that called called the changeling, and that's a, that's a fairy thing. But when it came to doing the same idea with the knights. Since they were separated at first, they didn't have anything to do with each other. And I didn't want them to exist within the same universe because mm -hmm. the samurai comes from a world like ours, except feudal Japan never ended. And the knights come from a world like ours, except the Renaissance never came. So technology improved, but there was no huge resurgence of technology caused in a short period of time that led to the advancement of humanity across the board. Instead, science evolved slowly over time across the world while being separated. Because advancement can be made individually, but it's going to be much slower. Right. So since those two worlds don't really work together, and I didn't want to have to write a thing where, oh, okay, well, she, she actually lives on an island that is kind of big, so she thinks it's her whole planet, because that would imply that her people, or if I did the same thing to the knights, they aren't very intelligent. Right, um, right. They wouldn't be able to, to calculate the size of the Earth based on this, the movement of the sun, blah, 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 blah. There are a bunch of different ways to figure out how, how big the planet is if we're smart enough. <laughs> um, and I didn't want to do that, because I wanted to imply that they had a different kind of knowledge. To me, if you have magic involved, science becomes less useful because the majority of science is how do I solve this problem or how do I create this new problem that I want to solve? Right. Um, and magic can circumvent a huge chunk of that. So in a world where the knights are from and where the samurai are from, that kind of makes sense. So instead what I did... <coughs> oh God, he died. Um, <laughs> I did die, yeah. I got shot. Um, oh, maybe I shouldn't say that. Anyways. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Two days later. <laughs> moving right along. Game developer. <laughs> small time game developer found in his... Oh, never mind. Um, Und so, undig the whole Andrew. 
exactly exactly dig the, <laughs> dig the hole deeper actually um <laughs> what i think the best solution was that i went with was to just make them connect at the pinnacle so the pinnacle of the samurai is the is the onamusha and the pinnacle of the of the knights is king arthur so backstory of king arthur now she now has him marrying and fathering a child with the legendary onamusha so the most powerful woman in other or i'm sorry the most powerful woman in collision married one of the most powerful men in collision and made the most powerful woman in collision or the most powerful girl i guess she's a little kid <laughs> and when I came up with that, I realized there's a whole other slew of different things that you could do when it comes to this next generation of samurai, giving you more right. freedom in the future. Right, right. Um, so let's say from what's what's interesting is that from there, um, the idea uh, that 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 kind of bases in now is uh, spreading out and combining and combining like elements of both to kind of but like but like distinctly. So like. Yes. Um, there, there will be there. There's going to be like different designs for the for the capes that, but like just enough so that you can see the tinge of each of their cultures kind of uh, moving around each other. No, Which I definitely th think that's the way I want to go. Um, mm -hmm. to, to compare us to another card game, do you play? Uh, I don't think you play Magic, but just in case, do you play Magic? I've seen I've seen the word Magic: The Gathering before and have gathered that it is a card game. Fair enough. Fair that enough. Is fair. That is the most I know. <laughs> In magic, besides studying um, it, besides studying that for for studying all the art for it now, uh, magic has a color wheel, just like we have our four colors, um, right. except they have they have five, and um, the magic color wheel or is it six. It's six. I'm done. Uh, the magic color wheel represents the land that they come from. For instance, black represents swamp and death, because that's where the creatures within Magic the Gathering gather their strength from, the land that they grew up in. Because right. the Earth, the planet itself, has magic. And you, you essentially just gather that magic to cast spells. So ours is a little different. So collision itself provides magic to the world. But that's because a god said so. A deity was like, okay, well, if you take a step on collision and you're fighting on collision, you're immortal. You can't die unless you get killed by like you get stabbed. Like you can't get sick, you can't die of hunger, you can't die of thirst. You still get really hungry and your vitality is drained and you become weaker from doing from um, not eating and drinking, but you won't die. Um, and the reason I decided to do that is because I realized that it would be a lot simpler if I could just make someone immortal whenever I wanted to. Um, and that's how this all lines up. So King Arthur's been on collision fighting for centuries. And he's just right. doing his thing. Um, Anamusha, on the other hand, she was teleported there within like the last 10 years, 30 years. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how long that timeline should be, but since she got there, she essentially has not stopped fighting. And one of the first people she came in contact with was a King Arthur with no army. 
so that's where that's where you and I, where your other job comes into play, because you're also a writer and an editor for the team. Um, what is what is King Arthur like without an army? What is King Arthur like when Excalibur no longer springs to his hand when he when he strikes? Yeah. Um, the the, the is, idea of like the idea of this, like, which I which I feel like I was I was kind of trying to implement into the design um, was this kind of. Um, I don't know what it was about the legend and also how you were, how the notes that you gave um, that kind of made me feel like there would be a brutality, but also some kind of reserved nature about him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the way I think of it this way is you're a Dragon Ball fan, right? I am, of course. Okay. I was just double checking again. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I hate what, you. what would happen if Goku was raised by Gohan his entire life, but never hit his head? Mm. Nothing great. <laughs> Nothing great, right? But what would happen if Gohan never, if Grandpa Gohan never died, but Goku hit his head again? The reverse. I'd like to, imagine, I'd like to hope that it would reverse, right? He'd be, he'd be evil, right. theoretically. Um, well, killing joke is pretty good with this particular thing. What happens when you have one really shitty day? Right, right, yeah, yeah. Now, what happens if that first shitty day is the first of 200 years of shitty days? Yeah. Because he didn't want to go to Collision any more than Adamusha did. He was hunting dragons. And the dragons, for some reason, were able to make a fucking teleporter to a different reality. I mean, what do you do when you're when you're a random dragon hunter? Well, I guess he's not really random, but what do you do when you're a dragon hunter and you come to this place and they open a door and you see a million other monsters just running around? Can you hear me? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, yes, I can. Okay, now I can. <laughs> Did you hear me a second ago? No, what did you say? Go. Um, what do you do when you're like a hunter, a dragon hunter, and you go to a dragon den with your army, and the dragons are killing you? That's your, that's your bad day. That's your killing joke. Um, but then when you actually like get to the bottom of the dragons, and you're like trying to fight your way out, there's a door just like in space. And there's right. hundreds, if not millions of monsters. I, I made a huge jump from hundreds to millions, but either way. <laughs> hundreds, <laughs> millions of monsters just running around, fighting. And there's an open doorway right in front of you. Right. He jumped in. <laughs> it was like, oh, if I don't stop these guys, they're going to kill everyone on the planet. Right. He jumped in, and the dragons were like, oh, he's gone. Close the door. <laughs> It feels almost like, and, and what, what, it reminds me a lot of um, uh, how Berserk, how bes I guess like a, a touch of Berserk. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm a Berserk fan, so uh, one right, of the greatest manga of all time is definitely going to sneak in. <laughs> anyone, anyone listening, you need to read it. It doesn't matter. Yes. If it, yeah, yeah. Please. Well, I mean, I mean, not not to mention the deities within our universe are sometimes um, 
uh, what's the what's the word cosmic uh, mm-hmm. in, in scale, but they are they are deific. So they are definitely gods. They are omnipotent within their own realm, but outside of their own their own realm, it's like taking an infinity gauntlet into another universe. It's useless. Right. Um. So that's basically what he's trying to to do is find a way back to his place. So he and Anamusha have the same have the same goal. But they both come to the same conclusion at some point in their lives. I've been gone so long, the people that I remember are dead. What about say, yeah. So this is my new home, or I can go home and make a new home. And they meet each other because of happenstance. Uh, if you if you've read the the Anamusha samurai backstory, you know that she washes up on the on the shore. The man that finds her is King Arthur. Mm-hmm. He has like a group of mercenary people that he introduces her to, and she can get to know and she can work with and that kind of stuff. And from that point forward, it's basically a choose your own adventure where every answer was accurate. Like, did she go and fight the the other world people because she thought they were evil? Yeah. Did she fight for them? Also, yeah. <laughs> did she train King Arthur in, in her ways so that way he could become a more skilled swordsman? Absolutely. Did he train her? Of course. Just that kind of thing. And until she eventually, 20, 30 years down the line, has become a master of death. A master of combat. Um, I, I can't remember. I can't remember where I heard this. It might actually be um, a description of Melina from Elden Ring. <laughs> back to that. I still have to finish wow. it. So good, so good. Anyways, Melina, essentially, I think is described as every slash of her sword is another death. Jeez, and how like she says i i've never been bested in combat that's anamusha she's never lost in combat she's just unbelievably skilled and it's not because she's a mary sue or anything like she didn't start undefeated but Mm -hmm. she earned that shit especially considering where things do go because she fights for and against everyone so that way she can learn from them. And she's basically on this one path. Yeah, I mean, well, that's, that's designed in the cards. <laughs> true, I want true. people to be able to notice that. Um, but what's not designed in the cards, and this could be a little bit of a spoiler even for you, actually. Oh, okay. is cool. I'm going for it. Who did she train on her way? Uh... And would they be considered samurai? If they follow her her combat style, especially one that she makes for herself after mastering all the others, would she be training samurai or something even further than that? Or does her being a samurai evolve the term as she becomes more and more powerful and more and more skilled? And my opinion on it is that she's still a samurai. She's mastered all these other forms of combat, and she has perfected combat itself, and she calls that being a samurai. So anyone that she trains, therefore, would also become a samurai under her. And right. there you go. Your next set of uh, releases 
you can you can make any creature a samurai. You want a dragon samurai? You put a samurai sword in that dragon's mouth, and you got yourself a deal. <laughs> oh no, yeah. So, oh, I can't I can't say too much, but there are, there are some things happening. There are definitely some some ideas that are being batted around. Um, you've played Dark Souls, right? Of course, of course, of course. Sword wolf. Wolf, wolf sword. <laughs> wolf sword indeed. <laughs> a, a sword holding a wolf, actually. That would be amazing. Um, <laughs> there's something like that in uh, Fallout New Vegas. There's a sword gun, or there's a wolf gun, or a dog gun. Oh, instead, of, uh, instead of firing normal bullets, it barks. <laughs> That's amazing. It's the best. I love that game. Um, oh yeah, I just realized I haven't I haven't done the full rundown on myself. I might have we might have skipped. Oh that. shit! Oh, we did skip that. We got it. <laughs> we so, why did you get into art to begin with? We went down. Fell oh, no. <laughs> right down the lore hole. Hey, that means that other people will hopefully. It's true. It's true. That's okay. I don't think we've said too much. What's good is that. What's good is that there are a lot more uh, interesting ideas on the way because of what you guys know from this now. Exactly. Um, exactly. If you're hearing something, it it means that there's like a million other things waiting. Yeah. Uh, okay. I don't so... like revealing too much. <laughs> Not too much. Just enough. D despite despite how much I reveal, I don't like <laughs> revealing too much. <laughs> All right. Um. Uh. Okay. So. Oh man. All right, now I have to go way back. Um, I I started I started uh, drawing when I was four. And, really? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been. Uh, I've, oh my god. So just how drawing, are your stick drawing, figure drawing, Goku's? Drawing. My stick figure. Go I actually never. It's very funny. I never drew Goku. Oh really? Uh, I used to draw. I used to draw stick figure Goku's fighting stick figure Vegeta's all the time. It was the best. I would draw Vegeta all the time. It's very funny. I liked Vegeta's design a lot. I liked Goku's design, but I really liked Vegeta's for some reason. There was something about uh, the armor that I really liked. Yeah. Um, I, how, how did they make a character, the villain, more iconic looking than the main character? I mean, they usually yeah, you know. But... It, it, was, it was so that, you know, so, so I drew him. But um, yeah, so when I, I started when I was four, and then I, I, I never stopped drawing. There, were maybe, there was maybe one time as I grew up, where, like, I started kind of realizing how um, I loved it, and, like, you know, I would make, I would make it to the point where, you know, I would be getting, like, taking my mom's post-it notes and making, like, little flip books and, and stuff, and, like, I would be, uh, essentially, I would be storyboarding without realizing it, like, I would be making, I would be writing scenes and putting, like, arrows in between the little drawings to, like, make little scenes play out it was very i didn't even realize what i was doing at the time but i was storyboarding and animating and learning about uh composition all at the same time by accident um just because i i've always loved art i've always loved art um and especially what was it uh naruto was really the first one that got me on that very very hard was that kind of um um the visuals and the animation really hit me. So I liked that a lot. So I started reading that. I read through all of that, burned through it. Um, and then I just, yeah, I like anything I could get my hands on that was like drawing related or art related. I would, I would get into and dig into and like, oh man, it's been a long journey. It's been a very long journey, surprisingly enough. Um, 
man, I'm only thinking back on it now. Like, um, there was a time where I took a break uh, a few years ago. We're just, we're just, we're just like, oh god, no, yeah, no, you are dying. I'm just getting over a whole story. <laughs> you're getting emotional. I'm crying. It's a very emotional story. <laughs> it's um, just so beautiful. I, I, you know, I worked hard. No, you, funny, no, genuinely, you, 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 you're a great artist. So just to get back to a serious note for a second. Uh, um, so that that like what ended up uh, launching me after that was that one year that I took because for a year I just absorbed things. Like I just would watch things, absorb them, and I wouldn't draw, but I was just absorbing them. I didn't know why. I just knew I had to take a break. So for a full year, I didn't draw. Um, I just like you know watched cool things. Uh, experience. I don't know, just did life for a little bit, you know what I mean? Um, and then, flash forward, I just started drawing again, and I knew I was supposed to start drawing again. I don't even know what it was, either, about that time, that I just knew I had to start drawing again. So, I started, and then I started uh, working on a Photoshop. I was horrible at it. Uh, Started sketching, started scanning things. Uh, there's a website that's <laughs> my website started going up. Uh, that is under construction right now. Don't try and go there now. Uh, Fair enough. And, uh, and then what else did I start doing? Um, oh, and then I started trying to, in college, I started trying to take art classes. Uh, and I couldn't do it. I don't even know why. Um, I've always been more self-taught. And anytime I started going into art classes, I felt like homework. And I never wanted the thing that I loved to do to feel like that. Um, so I would just, so I was just like, I, I went to all the art classes, you know, but like, I always felt, do you know what I mean? Like, I always felt like I was like being forced to do it. You know? Yeah, I know what you mean. We're like, we're like this, this just like, Oh well, you know, get this in on like like uh, draw this thing, but draw it on time. And I was like, yeah. like, and you know, once it becomes that kind of thing of like um, a homeworky thing, it feels very different than doing it as a job like this. Yeah. Where if it's homework, homework is just homework so much more annoying. You know, like it just it just like I said, then it just gives me anxiety, and I'm like, all right, well, I'm being forced to whatever this, so I guess I'll do it. Um, so I immediately dropped out of that art class to not like it, uh, and went back to being self-taught. So I've been teaching myself art, um, ever since then. Cause I tried to, I tried to experiment with that, tried to learn what I could from a teacher, but I really did not learn enough than just like practicing. Like I have to, I have to do it myself. That's the thing. I've, I've always, and now I realize like I've always needed to do that. No, I completely get that. I, I had the same I had the same relationship with writing for pretty much all of high school. Um, I enjoyed creative writing, but the moment that I would have to sit down and like try and finish something that I was working on so somebody else could read it or finish it, I just felt yeah. so obligated. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, it took yeah. me a long time to understand that that feeling happens to a lot of people. And mm -hmm. 
it is just a matter of understanding what that feeling is and how it applies to you specifically and then finding your solution to that problem. But for a lot of people, school is one of the most limiting factors because the, mm-hmm. the box that it tries to lock you in, and I'm, I'm not an expert on psychology, so don't. Yeah, no. don't <laughs> we, um, are, we are, like, as, as creatives, we're kind of just speaking from our particular thing. Your solution yeah, our might particular, vary from ours. Yeah, your solution might vary from ours. Um, forcing someone into a box when it comes to art is a very bad idea unless it's yeah. designing a graphic. Because mm-hmm. more often than not, whatever they're actually capable of will be limited by your rules. And if you and the whole thing that's great about art is once you have a, an understanding of those rules, you're supposed to break them. That's mm-hmm. what makes that's what makes modern art so interesting and beautiful, which I know a lot of people probably don't get modern art pieces. I'm not saying that I get modern art pieces, but <laughs> the style of art that you're that you quote unquote need may not be what you need. Um, right. And a big chunk of that is, is forced on artists that you need to do this it is forced on artists in school. And while that's super useful to understand like, Oh, you, this is how you do this. This is how you want to do this. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily the best solution because mm-hmm. Something in the middle seems to work best for every artist I've ever met, where they're basically told, I want you to draw this, and this is what I had in mind. But then they have the right to be like, okay, that looks, that sounds stupid. Yeah. Or that doesn't sound like it'll work, or I can't make that work, but I can do this, which is pretty much what all of you did um, when I hired you. Because I basically told you, I have this idea. Um, and it's a card game, blah, blah, blah. And your, all of your first questions were, do you have any references for the style that mm-hmm. you want? And your, your guys' response to me saying, it's your style. Whatever style you want to do, do it. Um, which is the best thing we've ever heard in our lives. Yeah, right? which is the best thing you've ever heard. Because <laughs> you, you develop, you're developing a style of, of doing art. You can you can do the technical stuff that you need to do. Like if somebody wants this face drawn, you can draw a face, right? You, yeah. you can you can copy somebody else's style if you need to, but that's not what I want. I don't want someone to look at a Yu-Gi-Oh card and be like, oh, okay, so we're going to copy the Yu-Gi-Oh style, and then I make a game that looks like Yu-Gi-Oh. No, right. I want Collision to feel like Collision, and I mean the term Collision, not even the idea of our company. I want it to feel like a collision is happening. I want it to feel like worlds are colliding. Mm-hmm. And the best way to do that, and like I said, this is now we're definitely not saying that this is the solution to every artist's problem. The solution for us was to just let that happen because mm-hmm. you, you all have the, the viable skill that I could base the card game around your art style. Your character-driven, smooth line... Um, it's the best way. I was going to say intricacy, but it, it's it's slightly different than the intricacy. <laughs> I'll just use intricacy. The intricacy of your clothing and like your your character design and the personality that pops out because of that. You could design an archetype around that. You could also mm-hmm. design an archetype around the environmental storytelling that Chris accomplishes so well. Right. Um, his his 
his deep curves and his particular style of shading right it yeah. goes perfectly well for horror but he was a character he, he was a cartoonist yeah Which is, has, that's why i think it's very funny yeah it's insane um when i first when i first hired him i was hiring him for the kitsune because i wanted to have like a chibi look and i thought he could pull it off but he was like i don't want to do that that sounds boring and i was like okay go ahead man what do you want to do <laughs> he's like, i want to do zombies i was like well go on <laughs> i'll see you later you come back with some zombie designs um so yeah I, I think that any one of you guys could have served as the basis for what it looked like but mm. given that your king arthur and your anamusha look like look like they were drawn by a, the same person but not at the same time is exactly <laughs> what i wanted because I think the flavor is different, but the yes. scent is the same. Yes. Does that make sense? That is the, that's the, well, yeah, of course. That's because, the, you know, that finding, finding like a, especially finding like a whole of a character is all about like the, um, as much as you know about them, it's as much as you're going to get out of the design. So it was really cool, especially drawing uh, Anamusha, which was my very first one. Um, it was really fun drawing her because um, I had all these intricate things that I knew about her and about the character and about what she'd been through. Um, that she was she looked hardened, but there was also like there was still like a soft there was still like a softness to her design that I yeah. liked. But but she still but there was still but there was still this like uh, this veteran look that I really wanted. Um, that she'd seen a lot of fights. Um, that she had, so, that like she had a, scars on her. She's like, she's kind of, uh, okay, I'm going to use the, the term trap, but not the traditional term trap. She's like, she's like a, uh, she's like a combat trap. Yes. So like, if you see her out of combat and not in her armor, you'd be like, oh, she's kind of buff. She, she might work out. But, um, yeah. you would, because of the number of scars that she doesn't have, <laughs> because of how good she is, you'd almost be it's like... Ah, uh, she's too su she's too supple. I guess is the word I would use. She's exactly. too supple to be a, a warrior, and then she chops your head off. Exactly, and then you—that's why. Like, um, I had her tent. I really like the the tense pose that I have her in because you can see all of the muscle and the sprint, like that she's kind of like about to spring. Like that's the tension that she has. She has a lot of a, a lot more muscle than uh, I think might give her away at first glance when she would not be in like uh in combat is that now you can see all of that in the forearms and in the and in uh, her legs you can see that now because it appears it ripples um once she's in that kind of situation which was the idea yeah exactly um it's kind of like uh the suit the design of goku and super versus design of goku versus frieza mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. Goku is objectively stronger when he fights um, in Super. But he looks so much more menacing and intimidating when he's fighting Frieza. Because yes. of how buff he is, how, like, how dramatic everything looks. The, uh, the style of Super is easier on animation. And yes. it actually makes it to where you almost underestimate Goku from an outsider perspective. Because you're like, oh, he's kind of thin. He's muscular, but like, he doesn't work out that much. That's what That's I mean. It, it, uh... 
I oh, yeah, I can yeah. yeah. for the rest of my life. Are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, forever, um, forever, I could critique Dragon Ball Super, but I won't. I won't do that today. <laughs> so could I. Don't worry. I, I yeah. I used to I used to shit all over that show. It has um, it's hit or miss. It's very hit or miss. Um, but uh, I um, yeah. So when you know when when. When you came, when you when you came to me with the idea, just generally the idea of the card game, I um, first of all I was very humbled because I I very appreciate I very much appreciated the trust and the faith that you had in us, um, and in the other artists, and and that the and that the uh, the faith that they had in you, and I and I could see that there was something we could we could really make awesome, um, because we were all. Um, coming into our own, but all very disciplined in what we wanted to do. And I could see that there was like a core here um, in this team that really invigorated me and surprised me. And you know, as you know, as we're 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 like we're like most of us are mid twenty somethings, uh, really kind of coming up and about to hit a lot of like the pinnacles of our abilities and joining this team was really impactful because now we have this chance to kind of harden and hone what we already know about ourselves, which is the skill that we have to make something awesome. Yes. I, yeah, that's more or less how I see it, too. Um, there's no guarantee that... Let's say that this is... Which I'm not saying that it is, obviously. Let's say that this is the best game ever made. Um, <laughs> that's the, that, that, that is the idea, frankly. Yeah, so let's say... Let's say theoretically, Collision Gate is the not not the best card game ever made. It is the best game ever. Like you play it, and it it makes you instantly it cures your depression and your anxiety, and <laughs> it raises your, your kids. kids. <laughs> yeah, it raises your kids for you. If your kids are study or are having trouble in math, it teaches your kids math. It's that good of a game. Wow, um, pretty amazing. Yeah, like it, it it makes it makes French toast for you in the morning too. Tucks you in at night. It's just great. Um, Hidden mechanics. There's still a huge chance that no one will play it. Hmm. You got to remember, toothpaste almost failed. <laughs> toothpaste almost failed. That seems insane. It's all about it's all about the people that were in charge of toothpaste. Like they they said like, oh hey, um, we we think toothpaste is a part of the daily habit of keeping your mouth clean and. In having an overall health and level of of uh, happiness and cleanliness, and it almost failed. Febreze almost failed. Which seems because insane. Which seems insane. insane. Both seem insane. So, if things that are such integral parts of our lives had a chance of failing, there's definitely a chance. Of course, mm -hmm. but. We're doing everything as good as we can, in my opinion, um, to, to kind of toot the company's own horn. For, for instance, the videos that we're releasing now that are more satirical in nature are going to lead us on a much steeper slope of advancement. Having the ability to make people laugh while also giving them the information that you want them to have is far more valuable than just telling someone, hey, this is what we're about, this is what we do. That was the whole point of every video up until this point. 
I've never acted in any of our videos. I've only been myself and how I was feeling in that moment. So that that nervousness that you see in that first episode is real. I was so nervous. I was so worried <laughs> um, that I could barely talk. And I was I was flabbergasted with the amount of support that we've received, despite it not being as comparable to other industries but in comparison to similar ideas a, a trading card game made by individuals without a triple a back or even a major game studio back right can be successful with the right set of tools and cryptocurrency is just another one of those set of tools and it's helping us out a lot we haven't even begun to tap into our other lines of revenue and we've got enough money to fund the beginning of the project get some people on board and start moving us in the right direction so once we have real production value that's where our individuality as a company needs to come into play because we're not even the first cryptocurrency card game and the first one was created by one of the creators of magic the gathering so we have to compete on a completely different scale. We, right. we can't rise up to that level. We can't rise up and be like, oh, we're this experienced. This is why you should believe in us. We have to do the opposite. We have to say, we're not experienced. That's why you can trust us to not mm -hmm. do anything too crazy or to push things too far unless it's, unless it's with the company's best interest, the game's best interest at heart. Right. And... I think that's going to lead to the strongest team we have, we could possibly have, as well as the most interpersonal ability amongst the people that we meet. Because us being raw and real is more valuable than us being professional. We can gain professionalism. We can't gain wearing our heart on our sleeve. We can't gain communicating efficiently and audibly. We can't gain communicating honestly and regularly. I was going to say consistently, but um, sometimes we're inconsistent. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't want to get called out for being inconsistent, even though I am. <laughs> um, but yeah, so if things are going to progress positively, we don't need someone to look at our game and be like, this is the best game ever made. We need to look at we need people to look at our game and say this is one of the most fun games I've experienced in the last few years, and that, a big chunk of that, when it comes to tabletop games or trading card games, is how it feels to look at and how it feels to play. Right. And personally, I barely look at Yu-Gi-Oh and Magic images anymore. I've been playing for a really long time, and I'm a lore person. I I like I I like shutting down. Reading, I like reading lore, and I love writing it. So I will sometimes go on a tangent for like an hour to two hours, where I learn that a piece of media exists, consume all the information about it. And then I'm like, okay, this is how I would have wrote the show, or this show is written very well, or this is a problem that I have with the show. But I don't do that 
with Magic the Gathering or Yu-Gi-Oh anymore. Um, I definitely don't do that with Pokemon anymore um, because it's just not worth it. And I don't think that's a bad thing on their end, but I do think it's something that they can improve because I think everyone can kind of agree that Yu-Gi-Oh is not the best card game ever made. It is one of the most popular card games ever made. So if Yu-Gi-Oh continues to get more popular and it becomes more well-adapted, what can Yu-Gi-Oh do to become the best game ever made? Well, there are are small things that you can make better within your world that prop up the entirety of it. People will play video games for lore alone. People will play video games for mechanics alone. People will play video games for art alone. So bring your art to the level of people playing the game just for the art, the lore to the same Mm -hmm. level, and then, then make it as fun as possible. So I kind of did the opposite. I made the most fun game possible I could think of with that was also complicated and different from all the other ones that I could think of, mm-hmm. while also appealing to the idea that every piece that I introduced to it after that would have to support the overall main idea while also mm-hmm. adhering to what the person who created that thing had envisioned. Exactly. So the easiest way to do that has been just have you guys make something and then write a story around it mm-hmm. or vice versa, write a story around it and then have you guys make something that fits within that story. Um, but that, that reminds you, we didn't even really get into the fact that you're also a writer for the team. I am. Yeah. So I, I've only just started writing for, um, for uh, some of the lore. I proofread and I edit uh, and I go over the rule book. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been oh, I've been writing for I I haven't written in a while. I haven't written like uh, oh my gosh, I haven't written my uh, like individual stories in a while. But uh, as far as writing has gone, everything from uh, lore for my own types of smaller projects to um, poetry to songwriting to short stories to scripts, I've I've done all of those. Um, and uh. What, script editing, done a little bit of that. Um, and I've been doing that for about as long as I've been uh, arting around. So it was definitely something, you know, I was like, I saw it and I was like, I could help with this. Because that, like, the idea of also helping build the world that I, my characters are being made in and are being created around and through and, like, being ruined down by and living through, like, that excited me. So I'm very happy to be that- part of it. See, when you, when I hired you, that was one of the main reasons I did decide to hire you, aside from you being a great artist, was when I was talking about the characters within our, our world, you treat them like people. Yes. Like they are real people that exist, that are out there and are doing things, which tells me that you're a creative writer. Because um, I, I've explained how creative writing works to me, to other people before, and somebody literally asked me, do you have DID? Do you have dissociative identity disorder? Oh my god. No, it's you have to you have to do that. Um you have to do that. The thing is you have to do that for your character. If you don't feel like if your characters don't feel real, they might as well not have been made. (laughs) If you cannot imagine talking to your character or meeting your character, you don't know what they would be like in certain instances, then you haven't made a character yet. Nope. You've only made a collection of character traits. Correct. And a collection of character traits do not hold the story. Again, I mentioned 
people read stories, believe it or not, just for character arcs. <sighs> for instance, I like Dragon Ball Z. Not for the character arcs. <laughs> Except for Goku's until the Cell Saga. That's true. Goku's and, and, entire... and Piccolo. And Piccolo. Let's not let's not undersell Piccolo's amazing character design. Yeah, he, he actually he actually had an amazing yeah. Because um, let, let's not change it for long. But it was very well uh, <laughs> it was very well hinted at in Dragon Ball what was going to happen. Like, right. Toriyama's a discovery writer for those who don't know and that are fans of Dragon Ball Z. He doesn't know what he's doing when he sits down. <laughs> he, he writes, um, I believe he was talking in an interview one time where he basically he sits down for a day and he writes a bunch of points for the next um for the next arc. He doesn't he does entire arcs at once and that's it. So he'd be like, okay, Goku gets powerful here, and then he loses here, and then this thing happens, and then he takes that, he puts it on the wall, and then he turns away from it, and then he starts drawing. Yep. And that's how, that's how Toriyama works. Um, there's a hidden miss when it comes to discovery writing, and there's a hidden miss when it comes to fixed writing. Um, so, for instance, another really good recent example of fixed writing is Raised by Wolves. Um, that show... Yeah, that show's really good. Um, that show is getting compared to Lost a lot, and anyone who says that it's having the Lost effect is dumb, because <laughs> if you watch that show, every question that has been introduced to you in the first season has been answered. And I'm not saying like it's been hinted at. It has been objectively answered by a person on screen. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, people are seeing that as the Lost effect, which I don't know how big a fan of you are of Lost. I'm a huge fan of Lost. Go Lost. I wish I, 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 haven't, I haven't, I unfortunately still need to watch Lost. Um, I, I didn't like it a lot as a kid because I didn't understand. But then one day uh, I was talking to my dad about it because he, he used to like it a lot. And he's basically like, oh, no, I like having I like having a show where I don't even know what's going on. And I was like, okay. And he's like, and then at the very end of the show, everything is explained except for the stuff that's not, and that stuff's inconsequential. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's he brought up a certain. I don't want to spoil Lost for people that are in the middle of watching Lost. That's how seriously I take Lost. Watch Lost. Shit on it if you want to when you're done, but actually watch it. Don't just say it's bad because everybody else says it's bad. It is yeah. bad, but it doesn't mean it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's not bad, but it is bad. Yeah, it's like uh it's like Chronicle. Like Chronicle objectively is a very bad movie. But then if you realize that they're all really good actors. Yeah, so the, oh it carries yeah. the whole movie. Yeah, once you realize that they're all really good actors, it carries the entire movie because then you realize, wait a minute, they're teenagers. They would do stupid stuff like that. Yeah, no, yeah. And yeah. Then, it carries the whole entire film. So right. any number of different things that we are trying to introduce into the game and, and and put like a a perfect stamp on can cause this to be an incredibly popular game. If we manage to get all of it done, which is possibly or which is probably impossible, but um if we manage to get the things that matter to a card game, the card design, the playability, the fun, the uh artwork, the um 
competitive nature, the responsiveness. We get all those yeah. things to work. Um, it'll be pretty hard to deny that it's a good game. And if it's hard to deny that it's a good game, as someone who plays a lot of video games, or at least did until recently, um, <laughs> I can tell you that if someone is constantly telling you that a game's good, even if you want to say no because someone's telling you that it's good, you'll eventually try it. Correct. Like, um, I'm not a fan of shooters, and I think the third-person perspective is disgusting, but <laughs> I've played Gears of War. It's Gears of War. It's amazing. <laughs> um, like, I don't like third-person perspective like, at all. I think third-person perspective is really bad, unless it's for a reason. For instance, um, that's why I think Horizon Zero Dawn is one of the best games ever made, because its perspective changes the way you experience the game. If you were playing from a first-person perspective, you would be Aloy. But you're not. You're not Aloy. You're experiencing Aloy's story from an outsider's perspective. Correct. Just like The Witcher is another really great example, which I'm not as big a fan of The Witcher as I need to be to make this kind of distinction, but I am a big enough fan of game design to make this distinction. The first person perspective in The Witcher would make it a terrible game. Yeah. Because oh my gosh, it would. there are so many things going on on screen sometimes that you literally can't track it. And Sometimes you need to be looking partially behind you and partially in front of you at the same time, and a witcher should be able to do that, but if you had a first-person perspective, you wouldn't. That's true. But then the final one, the most important one, is Halo. Halo could not be a third-person Halo. Halo And I've heard people argue, oh, it should have a third-person mode. You don't understand game design. It almost was. Yeah, it almost had a third-person game mode. They changed their mind, and if you watch why, you will understand a lot more about game design. They didn't want you to be a person controlling Master Chief. They wanted you to be Master Chief. Right. That's why when you play those games on Legendary, it feels like you're at war. (laughs) Like, genuinely, if you play Halo 2 Anniversary Edition on legendary difficulty no skulls and you just play you have a good time with the game it will feel like you're genuinely fighting through the covenant horde to find the flood and murder murder them and by the time you're done you feel accomplished like master chief and you're you're cheering with him at every step of the way right absolutely i agree with that and that's that's something that we can we can do with this game like, we can't make people... We don't want people to feel like the characters. That's the opposite of what we want. We want people to feel right. as though the characters are their own individuals that exist outside of their understanding. And Yeah, like, the, exactly. Like, they they have their own lives, and, th- like, these things... The, the, like, the card, the game that they're playing is something that is a product of them existing. Exactly, exactly. And if something is part of this world... Does it deserve to exist on its own? And how does the world respond to that? Hmm. Um, earlier, I mentioned the I mentioned Magic the Gathering and the color wheel, and then I kind of got distracted. Because um, <laughs> we were talking about merging archetypes together. 
and I made the point that I did, but I actually had a, had a, a bigger point. Um, Magic Gathering has something called guilds, which are two archetypes, or in this case, two colors, merged together. Um, and essentially, so it would be like a knight riding a dragon. Right. For instance, or King Arthur wielding Masamune, maybe? <laughs> or Anamusha wielding Excalibur, maybe? Stuff like that. I want to do. I want to do along the same lines because one, it generates a lot more content for us when we need to, and two, it's really cool to think like, what would happen if a dragon rider teamed up with a, um, a kitsune? Mm, yeah. <laughs> What's a dragon riding kitsune worshipping <laughs> person look like? Do they shoot fire out of their hands or their mouth? <laughs> everyone everyone will have to wait and see. Yeah, you'll have to wait and see, man. And then the reason I brought that up earlier is I was basically able to make that distinction because of you because originally i was going to use the samurai to do that like oh the samurai has worked with every single person but then i realized no it just started there yeah the samurai came in and showed people that things can be different and then made things different purely just by conquesting and that inspired the idea of mixing all of the different archetypes together to form new and unique guilds which we're going to call mercenaries I think it'll. I think it'll offer a chance to produce quite a bit of content. I was about to say because I'm just thinking of how it's it's going to be interesting to see how people react to how we uh, the the depth of which we we group and we have we have both individuality but we also have a lot of grouping. Exactly. Exactly. I agree. Um, what we will actually be capable of is going to be pretty great. Um, with all that said, though. We can get wrapped that might up be soon. Time. <laughs> yeah, we all said we can get wrapped up soon. Um, so my closing statement, aside from saying goodbye, is that I know we ramble a lot on these podcasts. If you've made it to the end of this one, thank you, thank you once again. Yeah, um, no, I've, if you if you made it to the end of one of these, we're very impressed with you. Yeah, we're very impressed. But, uh, <laughs> as we've said multiple times, the podcasts are for the the super fans, the people that are interested in the project, as well as us. Um, because you get a, you get a lot more of us, and you get a little bit more of the project. But anything that we talk about here on the podcast, you don't have to worry about if you miss a podcast that you're missing information forever. Sometimes you might be, but those are just secrets. Yeah. So just because something has been revealed, and just because something hasn't been revealed, doesn't mean that's the whole story. And Matt is don't feel like anything is spoiled for you exactly. And I hope you guys enjoy what we've created and what we're going to continue to create as it starts to come out and Absolutely. in the world for other people to experience. Do you have anything you'd like to add, Matt, before we take off? Um, anything I'd like to add before I take off? Uh, 
honestly, uh, just thank you for having me, man. And I'm, I'm happy to be part of the team. So thank you for having me and thank you for giving me the interview. I appreciate it. No, it's always, fun, it's, always, it's always fun to talk about this. I mean, we'll, of course, ramble outside of this, but it's always fun to to talk about this and to kind of recap where we are. So, you know, yeah, I'm I mean, ha- if we, I was if not happy. Were... Go ahead. Yes, go. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, if, if we were worried about staying on top topic, we'd edit the stuff that's off topic out. <laughs> yeah, I, this is more about the interperson ability. You don't got to uh, we don't got to worry about the ramble. But with that being said, everyone, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say thanks again. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. With that being said, everyone, talk to you later.